It is Father's Day 2023, and Sherwood is blessed with some of the greatest, most godly dads anywhere. I found myself overwhelmed a few moments ago as I'm looking up in this choir. And before the choir even started, I'm walking around and there's a lot of other guys who were saying, I would have been up there, but they've already put in other chairs. And like, if they need us, I'm ready to go. And here's my thing. Sometimes people ask the question, where are the godly men at? They should be able to say they're at church. And that's where we saw them this morning. Praise God for godly men and godly fathers. Our churches, our communities, and our country are all stronger when dads love God and love their families and lead well within the home. So I want to thank all of the men who are not only in the room, but also those who are watching online. I want to thank those godly men for embracing that role as a spiritual leader within your home. Now also today, I want to recognize that God called home another godly dad that we all know from this last week, and that being Michael Catt. Um, he was a man who was a godly dad to his daughters, Aaron and Haley, and he was also a spiritual father to many people right in this church as well as abroad. So we want to invite those who are here, those who are watching online to join us on Tuesday afternoon is there is a celebration of life service for Michael Catt that will take place right here at Sherwood. So in preparation for today, I took some time to read a number of quotes and short stories and cultural ideas related to fatherhood, both from a secular as well as from a biblical perspective. I'm always interested to see how generationally thoughts change. I like to see how ideas that maybe were strongly supported at one point, even within the church, are sometimes not the same ideas that are supported at other times. So, I want to share with you a couple of the statements that I came across from this last week. Charles Kettering said, every father should remember that one day his son will follow his example, not necessarily his advice. That's a good word to remember. Frederick Douglass made a keen observation when he said, it is easier to build strong children than to repair broken men. Billy Graham gave a great quote. A good father is one of the most unsung, unpraised, unnoticed, and yet one of the most valuable assets in our society. Mark Twain, as he often did, he kind of gave a funny quote, and I like funny in my days, so here's what he said. When I was a boy of 14, my father was so ignorant I could hardly stand to have the old man around. But when I got to be 21, I was astonished at how much he had learned in seven years. <laughs> this last quote is one that it brought back some memories to me as well as a picture. And uh, I recently ran across a picture from the 1970s, one of my dad, myself, and my brother. And whenever I heard this quote, I ended up, this was the thought, this was the picture that came to mind. So I want you all to see the picture first. We'll see if it comes up over here. Maybe. Ah, there it is. All right. So that's me in the back with my mustard-colored pants on. Back in the 70s, there was a lot of mustard and orange and brown happening, but I'm living my best life back there. 
So my dad was a quiet man, but he was one who, the terminology used to be, he liked to roughhouse with his sons. And this is the quote that came to mind as I was thinking about that picture. Harmon Killebrew wrote in his memoirs, my father used to play with my brother and me in the yard. Mother would come out and say, you're tearing up the grass. To which dad would reply, we're not raising grass, we're raising boys. End of quotes. My dad has been in heaven for the last two and a half years. And like many of you who your parents have gone on to glory and they're with Jesus right now, we take a lot of comfort in the knowledge that we will be with them longer in eternity than we will ever be without them here on earth. I also recognize that everyone's story is going to be different. There's some people who come to Father's Day and and it does not bring up great memories. Their, their dad was either not a believer or not around, or they might not have had an opportunity to even know their biological father. Sometimes they think of memories of their life growing up, and it's filled with a dad who was abusive or abrasive or a dad who, who did things that caused problems within the family. And my heart always goes out to those people if that's their story because every child, every family needs the blessing of being able to grow up in a home that has a godly dad. But my prayer today is that even if that is your story, that God would use this message today to let you know that legacies can be changed and hope can be different for your family for the future. We have a situation in our country where many people are asking the question, what's happened why does it seem like society is unraveling? What are the problems? What are the core issues? What can we do to change what we see taking place around us? And whenever those questions come up, there's often a lot of speculating and assuming and, and theorizing as to what the problems are and how they can be solved. But the Word of God addresses many of the problems that we face because Scripture is very clear that a lot of what we see in society is an overflow of what's happened within the home. Sin has brought untold destruction into homes. It's blurred the beauty of God's design. It has left generational burdens and lost children and hurting communities. And government many times has tried to step in and fill the role of family as the provider or as the parent or as the disciplinarian or as the identity maker or as the nurturer or morality guide. Let me just say government is a poor substitute for family. On Father's Day, 2023, here's what we want to do. We want to bless dads. We want to encourage dads. There are enough godly dads in this room right now to turn the world upside down. And we don't want to go through and have it so that godly dads show up at church on Father's Day and they get beat down because everybody's saying, this is what you're doing wrong. Listen, we need to lift up godly dads and say, thank you for what you're doing that is right. And we are in this together. And as a church family, we are stronger when godly dads are supported and they lead their families well. So this morning, here's, here's my goal. I want to share God's design for the home that has been blurred. So that's going to be a lot of what we're dealing with, is this is what God's design is. 
Then I want to share some stats on what happens when God's design has been neglected. And then I want to share a very simple passage on what we can do in order to encourage stronger godly homes and generations that begin to follow Christ and there are legacies for Christ that are left. That's what I'm trying to accomplish this morning. So I invite you, go with me in your Bibles to the book of Proverbs chapter number 20. Proverbs chapter 20, verse number 7. I want to speak this morning on the subject, the bravery of fatherhood. To be a Christian dad in today's culture is going to require bravery. It's going to take courage to stand in the gap for your family, to say, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord, to be able to take the arrows that come not only from culture, but also from the Christian community, because sometimes the the view of what it looks like to be a godly dad has become skewed even within the church. So I want to read this today out of the New King James Version. This is how I memorized it, so I want to share it from that translation. It says, a righteous man walks in his integrity. His children are blessed after him. A righteous man walks in his integrity. And his children are blessed after him. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, may you guide us through your word today. Lord, may men be encouraged and strengthened in their role as husbands and fathers in men. In Jesus' name, amen. Your big idea for this morning is very simple. God has perfectly designed the family to thrive when it is functioning under his authority and according to his design. God has perfectly designed the family to thrive when it is functioning under his authority and according to his design. When we reject either of those two pieces, his authority or his design, it always leads to destruction. There are three institutions that have been ordained by God, the home, the government, and the church. All three are important. The home is the oldest of those, and the health of the home dramatically impacts the health of the other two. God's design for the home begins with a man and a woman coming together in the covenant of marriage under God's authority and operating according to God's design. In God's design, the husband is to be the spiritual head of the home. The wife is to be the spiritual heart of the home. If you cut off the head, the body dies. If you cut out the heart, the body dies. Both the husband and the wife are vitally important to the stability and the health of the home. According to Ephesians 5 and 6, God's role for the husband is to be the spiritual leader who protects, provides, and presides. He is not a dictator. He is a spiritual leader. This is about order and design and accountability. If the family is not protected, if the family is not provided for, if the family is not led according to God's design, God holds that husband accountable for what happens within the home. The husband is called to sacrificially love his wife as Christ loved the church. Now, sometimes that's hard to get our mind around. What does that actually look like? Because love should translate into actions. But you need to think about it from the perspective of how did Jesus love the church through the New Testament? How did he love believers through the New Testament? And you'll find that he did what was best for believers. He sacrificed for believers. He prayed 
for believers. He loved believers. He helped believers become everything they were created to be. That's the way the Bible says the husband is supposed to love his wife. God's role for the wife is to be the submissive helpmate who nurtures, instructs, and unites. She is not inferior within the relationship. Once again, it is about order and design and accountability. If the family is not cared for, if the children are not instructed in the ways of God, if the home is not a place of nurturing, God holds the wife accountable in those cases. The wife is to be the partner of the husband, to love her husband, and help him become everything God created him to be. So the husband is to love and to serve his wife. The wife is to love and serve her husband. The husband submits to the authority of Christ over the home. The wife submits to the authority of the husband in the home. There is mutual submission and there is mutual service. When the husband and the wife are operating according to God's design, it creates a marriage partnership where each one receives what they need the most and each one gives to the other what they need to give. It brings stability in a home that enables that couple to be able to raise a godly generation of kids. So in God's design, this is so important. Listen carefully. In God's design, the roles of a godly spouse precede the roles of godly parents. Listen. If a couple does not know how to partner together and pull together and love each other well and serve each other well, before kids enter the equation, it is exponentially harder to learn those things afterwards. Why? Because kids tend to divide. Kids will put one parent against another parent. Kids live for self, and according to what we find in the book of Proverbs, foolishness is bound up in the heart of a child. Now, let me be clear, children are a blessing and an inheritance from the Lord. But that's a blessing and an inheritance that comes with a lot of training. They don't come out the box looking like a blessing and inheritance. They, 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 they come into this world kicking and screaming and with a tendency bent towards self. So if the husband doesn't know how to submit to Jesus and love his wife sacrificially, and if the wife does not know how to submit to her husband and love him unconditionally, it should not surprise us that the kids will not know how to submit, love, obey, honor, or do anything without selfish tendencies. They've never seen it modeled within the home. We teach what we know. We reproduce who we are. They need to see it in the home. I've been teaching on God's design for the home for over 25 years. For 25 years, I have been warning families, warning parents, be careful, be careful about the parenting books you read. Be careful about the research you accept into your home. Be careful about going to culture or going to academia or going to People Magazine for parenting advice. And it's been a fourfold reason that I keep bringing it up. One, the research changes constantly. What people say is complete research, give it six months and watch another article come out that says something completely opposite. 
The research changes constantly. Most of it does not align with God's word. The methods are not generationally proven, and parents will not know if their plan worked until after the destruction has already occurred. If you're looking into this world and you're wondering, why are there so many angry, upset young people? Why are there so many people today that are just mad in culture? If you're looking out and you're saying, how did things get exponentially worse, it seems like, in the last five to ten years, here's what I can tell you. We are just now reaping the harvest of parenting books from 20 years ago. Christians, we cannot embrace the world's wisdom and expect the blessing of God in our family. Stick with the word. Stick with the word. After Scripture addresses the husband and the wife in Ephesians 5. It goes on to address children in Ephesians chapter 6. And here's what it says in verses 1 and 2. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment with a promise. Children are to honor their father and mother. Doesn't mean you have to agree with them, but Scripture says honor them. Doesn't mean your parents are always right, but it does say that we are to honor and to obey them. This is not a suggestion. It is a command from Scripture. If children are not trained to obey their parents' authority in the home, they will not obey societal authority outside the home. Parents are the ones to train and to teach their kids obedience and honor. And obedience and honor only take place in the context of discipline. I go back to it again and again. You want to know how do you discipline your children? Book of Proverbs, book of Proverbs, book of Proverbs, book of Proverbs. Go to the Word, go to the Word, go to the Word. That's where your answers are at. It's important that we keep saying that again and again. Because the book of Proverbs, it teaches us how to raise children, discipline children, and train children to walk the path of wisdom. It tells us why it's necessary. It tells us how it happens. And it also tells us what to expect if it's neglected. Ephesians chapter 6 verse 4 it says, fathers do not provoke your children to anger but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Let me tell you what that does not mean. When it says do not provoke your children to anger that does not mean do not do anything that makes them mad with you. If you parent your kids well they will get mad with you from time to time but they'll get over it. Here's what that phrase means. It means repeated, ongoing treatment that gradually builds anger and resentment. I'm a part of the Gen X crowd. And I've noticed that Gen X, millennials, Gen Zers, there's a lot of anger and resentment that we walk with. And it's not that everybody in that generation has anger and resentment. Quite honestly, it's not that the generations before us have not had some of those same tendencies. But now it almost seems like a standard some way. So what happens that makes so many young people angry and resentful against their parents? I'm going to give you a starter list. And this is, this is not exhaustive. This is your starter list. Here's first, smothering your kids. It's called hovering or being a helicopter parent. This is what happens when a parent will not let a child grow up. 
The child's never able to make their own decisions. They're never able to stand on their own two feet. They're never able to be the ones to take responsibility for their actions because their parents keep jumping in the way of that. Parents need to make every decision for your infant. But they need to gradually release that control as maturity comes. Key word is maturity. With maturity comes greater freedom. You wait until the maturity is coming in, but when a child feels smothered, they're not able to grow and to thrive. Here's the second one. Showing favoritism to one child over another. Saying things like, why can't you be more like your brother? Or why can't you get grades like your sister? It's favoring one child because of their gifting or their interest or their personality. Sometimes I've heard parents say, it's just easier for me to connect with this child because we have so much in common. It doesn't matter if you got everything in common with one child. You got two, you might have three, might have half a dozen or more. The issue is the parent's role is to find out how do I connect with each of my children so that they know that they are loved and they are cared for. The next one. Pushing achievement beyond reasonable bounds. Every parent wants their child to excel. But some parents push achievement to the point that the child feels like their efforts are never enough. If that child brings home a 96 on an exam, sometimes the parent might say, it could have been 100. If the child gets a base hit in a ball game, sometimes the parent might say, next time steal second. If a child gets a part in a school play, sometimes the parent might say, next time get the lead role. And when those things are put into your child's mind, here's what they they register in their mind. Everything I do is never enough. And you keep doing that over and over. Here's what you're doing. You're building resentment and anger in the heart of that child. Here's the next one. Pointing out everything your child does wrong. When kids are only corrected when they do wrong and they're not praised and encouraged when they do right, they lose hope and they think they're a failure. Hopeless kids become angry adults. Thank you for both of those ums. All right, (laughs) number five. If you didn't like that one, you're really not going to like this one. Giving false confidence and praise. When children are always taught that they're the best, they're the brightest, they're the most talented person who's ever walked the face of the earth, they feel lied to and foolish when the rest of the world does not see them through the same lens. There's there's nothing wrong with encouraging your kids. There's nothing wrong with supporting the gifting they have. But there's something beautiful about saying, I love you completely and I want to foster the gifts God placed in your life. But I need you to know, There's going to be times along the way there might be somebody who gets a better grade than you, and that's okay. God's given them gifts as well. It's okay that there might be people who make more money than you down the road. You be who God made you to be, and I'm going to be right here in your camp with you. It's okay to share those things. Number six, making everything about your kids. I just seem to be stirring the pot the further we go. I heard somebody in the back say, "Mm mm-mm. All right. We're we're going there. Okay. Children are a wonderful addition to the family, but they were never intended to be the center of the home. That's the role only God can fill. 
And when everything revolves around your kids and around what they think and around their schedules and they're not made to adjust for what's happening around them, here's what happens. They grow up impatient because they think everybody needs to jump on their schedule. They grow up ungrateful because they don't thank you for what you're already doing for them. And they grow up entitled thinking the world owes them something when the world doesn't. And number seven, making your kids feel unwanted and unloved. Parents can make kids think that they are an intrusion in their life. Saying things like, before we had kids, we used to have cool cars. Before we had kids, man, we dressed great and we had some wonderful vacations and a little bit of extra money in the bank. Basically what we're doing when we say stuff like that is we're saying your life is an intrusion on my plan. My life would have been different had you not been in it. It breeds resentment and anger in the hearts of kids. That's a handful of ways it comes in. So in Ephesians 5 and 6, God shows his design for the home. He provides specific instructions for husbands and wives and children. But since today is Father's Day, I want to show the importance of the role of being a godly dad. Part of manhood, part of manhood is doing hard things, protecting those we love, in rejecting passivity. And there is a part of being a man that is being suppressed within culture. We're wondering why men are not rising to the occasion. You cannot cut the legs out of God's design for a man and expect them to rise to the occasion. And there needs to be a place, even in the church, if there are nowhere else, that, that men can come and say, God perfectly made you who you are. He gave you those strengths. He gave you those gifts. He placed this calling on your life. The traits are hardwired in by our creator, but they are under attack within our culture. So if dads are wondering whether or not their work and whether or not their prayers and whether or not what they're doing is enough, I, I want to encourage you today that when you don't do what God has gifted you and called you to do, the ramifications are horrible. These are some stats that came from the U.S. Bureau of Census, the CDC, Criminal Justice and Behavior Institute, National Principals Association, and other similar groups. I purposefully did not put Christian stats or church stats in because I want you to hear this is what the world is seeing and at the same time put it up next to what the Word of God is saying. Here's the stats. 63% of youth suicides are from fatherless homes. 90% of all homeless and runaway children are from fatherless homes. 85% of children that exhibit behavioral disorders come from fatherless homes. 80% of psychiatric patients come from fatherless homes. 80% of rapists come from fatherless homes. 72% of all high school dropouts come from fatherless homes. 75% of all adolescent patients in chemical abuse centers come from fatherless homes. 85% of young people in prison come from fatherless homes. According to the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services, they said, and I quote, fatherless children are at a dramatically greater risk of drug and alcohol abuse, mental illness, suicide, poor educational performance, teen pregnancy, and criminality. End of quote. 
The Progressive Policy Institute said, quote, the relationship between family structure and crime is so strong that controlling for the family configuration erases the relationship between race and crime and between low income and crime. This conclusion shows up time and again in research, end of quote. Why am I sharing these stats with you? Because our families, our churches, our communities, our country needs godly dads. You are valued. You are important. God has placed you there for a reason. You have a high and a holy calling that has been given to you by God. He wants you to lead your family well, and he wants you to live the gospel before those that are around you. And when you embrace that calling, it blesses everyone else around you. The enemy will make men, make dads think that you're not needed, that somehow society can go on without you. will make dads think that your past and your failure somehow define everything about your future. The enemy will make you think your family is too far gone to be saved. But listen, the gospel of Jesus Christ tells us a different story. The gospel tells us that the sin that entangles us was also crucified with Jesus on the cross. The gospel tells us that our enemy has been vanquished and his plan has been defeated and his fate has already been sealed. The gospel tells us that we are more than conquerors through Jesus Christ. Dads, God not only called you to a holy calling, but he has gifted you to succeed in the calling he's placed on your life. That is not an easy calling. If you lead your family well towards holiness, you are going to have to fight hell sometimes by the inch in order to get there. Be courageous in your fight. It's going to take bravery out of godly men to stand in the gap for their families. It's going to take bravery of godly men to intercede on behalf of their kids. It's going to take bravery and courage in godly men to say, as for me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord. It takes bravery to do these things. But listen, it also takes bravery to fully embrace your role as a man, as a husband, and as a father, especially in a culture that says being a man is toxic, masculinity is wrong, and you need to be more like a woman. I'm not trying to be ugly. I just need you to hear me. We need godly women to be godly women. And we need godly men to be godly men. God perfectly designed both for the health and the structure of the family. And there's parts of being both a man and a woman, being a mom and a dad, a husband and a wife. There's parts on both sides that if you embrace the calling God put on your life, it's going to require courage. What we're facing these days, you cannot hashtag your way through these problems. We can't legislate our ways towards a stronger family. 
We cannot finance our way out of generational bondage in sin. The only hope for our families and for our future and for our community is the gospel of Jesus Christ that allows people to be who they were created to be. So now I want to reread our passage in closing. Listen to these words. A righteous man, a righteous man walks in his integrity and his children are blessed after him. How can you bring God's blessing upon your family and your your children and your grandchildren? Walk righteously. Walk with Jesus. Live out the character of of Christ. It also says a, a righteous man walks in his integrity. Integrity it carries the idea of, of being blameless in lifestyle. But listen, it's not the same as being sinless. It's not the same as being perfect. It's not even the same as living without failure. It speaks of a continuity between beliefs and actions. It speaks of a person who they believe this, and day by day, they incrementally keep living it out. They just get up the next day, and they're going to pursue Jesus, and they're going to be in prayer, and they're going to love on their family, and they're going to go provide for their family. The next day, they get up, and they do it again and again and again, and they just keep doing that day after day and week after week and month after month and year after year, and it's those incremental moments of doing the right thing again and again that God uses, here it is, to build a structure and stability into your family. It's so needed in our culture. Dads, here's a word. We cannot make up for daily inconsistencies with occasional extravagance. What I mean by that is we cannot neglect our role as husbands and dads and men in the home day after day and then take our family on a really nice vacation and make up for all of it. It's lived daily. That's how the next generation learns what it looks like to pursue Jesus. God has perfectly designed the family to thrive when it is functioning under his authority and according to his design. I have said for years that there are two things Two of the greatest things that you can possibly give your kids. It's a godly heritage and a stable home. If you can give them that, God has a way of putting them in the right place at the right time. God has a way of helping them understand wise decisions. A godly heritage and a stable home. Teach them the word. Model the gospel protect them from evil. Dads, you matter. Sometimes it might not feel like what you're doing is important to anybody else. It is important, and it is important to your family, and it is important to God. When you face opposition from the world, I encourage you, be courageous. Be brave. When you live righteously and you lead well in the home, you will be attacked by people in culture. And listen, you'll be attacked by people within the church. Do it anyway. It takes courage to lead well within the home. It's worth it. Now, I also recognize as we close, 
that there are a lot of kids that are growing up without a godly dad in the picture. And this is one of those places where the body of Christ is one of the greatest blessings for families. If there is not a godly granddad, godly uncles, godly brothers, or anybody around, it should be that they can come to church and they can look up in a choir loft and they can say, that's what it looks like to be a godly man. And they can show up for different events within the church and there's going to be godly men around them loving them well and leading well. And they can have that and say, that's what it looks like. They can be loved well within the community. But here's what's going to happen. It's going to mean that godly dads cannot just look out for their own family. They also look out for the body of Christ. That means the same thing that happened today where literally we had to bring in more seats to get all the godly men up there. May that be the case every single Sunday when it comes to are you going to be in connect group and lead well with a connect group? Are you going to serve? Are you going to help? When VBS came through and all of these men and women were showing up, they need to see that. Kids need to see it. They need to see this is a godly man. This is a godly woman. And I might not have it at home, but praise God it's been modeled for me at my church we need godly men and women 